So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn, um, excuse me, turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high. And then one of the ushers, very qualified ushers, by the way, will, will hand down the aisle and then get you a Bible um, as you turn there. Now, uh, a couple things I want to let you know. In this series that we're pretty excited about, we get to uh, begin to think about um, and press into who we are as a congregation, who we are as a people, and what that looks like. And so let me just kind of walk through, through this with you. On week three, that's the last week, we're going to look at what does it mean um, for us to be blessed to be a blessing when it comes to gathering. Meaning intentionally being in the life of other people, how we can essentially get in the grill of other people in the name of Jesus to be in their life. We're going to look at that. And then from there, as soon as we're done with the, the, the sermon, or excuse me, the service, we're going to cut down the service. We're not going to cut down the sermon. I'm going to get mine. After that, um, we, we are going to go out into the lobby and throughout uh, the grassy area. And on that week, week three, we're going to have all of our redemption community leaders here. And so that means every single person that's leading what we call redemption communities, which are small groups, you have an opportunity to sign up. This is in direct response to you guys saying in the survey that we took uh, about a month ago that one of the hardest things was for us as people to get connected to our church, primarily to our small groups. And so there will be leaders there on that week. That's week three. Make sure you're here. We're going to end the service early so you can go out and sign up for different RCs that you can begin to check out. So that's week three. Week two, next week, we're going to come back and talk about, okay, we're blessed to be a blessing. What does that look like to serve? Primarily looking at the picture of Jesus himself and when he gets down and he washes the feet of those who are um, called to be those who follow him. So how do we metaphorically wash the feet of those in our community through service? And how do we wash the feet of those in our city and our community and so forth? And so we're going to look at that. Again, we are going to end the service a bit earlier that you may go out into the lobby and go out into the grass space. And there's going to be every single ministry. We're going to have a serve Sunday. That means every single ministry will be out there so that you can write down your name and email address and they can get you the information that is needed for you to participate and serve. And we believe that, here's just a stat to throw out, Um, 20% of people in churches do 80% of the work. And we're saying, how can we get everybody to join in? Everybody to play a part that calls redemption their family. That's in children's ministry. That's in the prayer team. If you're like, I know how to pray. If you say, I know how to stand still, look awkward and hold communion, you could do that. Um, if you know how to greet, if you know how to do something here in the name of Jesus, we're saying, we want you to be a part of that particular work. And so you'll have an opportunity to do that. And then today, week one, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be blessed, to be a blessing, to give, right? And I, w- I just want to acknowledge a few things. One, when it comes to giving, this is the weakest part of my preaching arguably the weakest part. If I look at the last four years of which I've been a lead pastor, I've talked about giving the least um, for a few reasons. One, um, it is uh, an insecurity because I never want to be the church that's always talking about money. And some of you are here for the first time and you go, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. They're going to talk about money. And your friend was like, no, not my church. We never talk about money. And then you show up, right? So I didn't, didn't disappoint you. So um, that's, that's one. But here's how I was challenged. I was meeting with the guy and he says, hey, When you sit down with people, this is a mentor of mine, he says, do you ever ask them ultimately how they're walking in the Lord and understanding scripture? Do you believe that's a vital part to their discipleship? Absolutely. Do you ask them how they're honoring God ultimately with their sexuality and what God does and how he uh, has sexual ethics? Absolutely. Okay, because you believe that's an important part of their discipleship. He goes, was ever when it comes to biblical finances, was that important for your discipleship? And I said, absolutely. It was one of the most important things. He goes, do you, when you sit down with people and do you teach, do you teach them that way? And I said, actually, I, I um, you, no, right? You know, you, you, know, you want to give the right answer, but you don't want to lie because it's like he's going to ask me if I'm lying. I'm like, God, I'm a pastor. So I can't lie. So, 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 yeah, I don't. And honestly, that's, um, that's on me. 
So when we did that survey a few weeks ago, um, a thousand of you guys took that survey and 60% of people say we participate and 40% said no. Now, the thought is not, okay, 40%, what are you doing? How could you be a part of this church and not participate? No, no, it's going, okay, let's talk about it. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's understand the mission of who we are so we even understand what that is and so we can talk about that. Now, I know as we talk about this, there's at least four people in the room. Um, There's the first group that I mentioned earlier. You would say, I'm not a Christian. I don't really care. I mean, like this whole giving thing, this is something I did want to walk in on. And I would say, one, I'm I'm glad you're here. We're not going to ask you. uh, Basically, here's what I want you to do. Give your life to Jesus, right? Understand who he is. And there's no way you can give your life to Jesus until you understand his life and love for you. And then there's a, another group who goes, listen, I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus. But when it comes to this whole giving thing, you know, I don't believe in giving to my local church and so forth. And I would say, you've got to read the scripture and look at what the scripture says and let's walk along with you. And then if you're the third person, you're going, I used to give and, and now I haven't given in a long time and I, maybe I need a kick in the butt. Okay, we're going to kick in the butt today. Um, and then, or you're the fourth group and you're going, listen, I've been waiting for you to talk about this. I'm participating. I'm a generous giving. In fact, I was going to leave the church if you didn't talk about it. So now I'm glad. Okay. Now we're going to do it for you today. Right. And so those, those are at least the four people in which we are going to be discussing today. So for the sake of framework and where we're headed, the first part of the message will be, um, what I would call the why, like, what's the vision? Like, what is the vision of us as a church? Uh, who are we? What is our story? The second part, we're going to get into the how, I mean, excuse me, the what, like, okay. When it comes to giving more practically, what's what sort of postures ought we to have? And then lastly, even more pra- practically is going to go, okay, how do we give? Like, like practically, how do we give? Because you always talk about every week, there's these boxes in the back and I don't ever carry cash. I haven't written a check in my life. And so, so, so how do I, what, what do we do here? So we're going to talk about that uh, this evening. So before we jump in, uh, would you guys bow your heads and uh, go ahead and pray with me and let's ask God the spirit to bless our time tonight. Father, we thank you so much that you challenge us, you stretch us, you call us to be a part and participate in your kingdom. And even more so, God, you call us to be a part of and to faithfully commit ourselves to people and the lives of others. So we pray, Lord, even as week three, as we talk about that, you would challenge us. Lord, you've called us to serve and to be servants. And so, Lord, we pray even in advance, Lord, that you would challenge us. Lord, you call us to be generous, Lord including our money, Lord, as we talk about and think about giving to our local church to see the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to be advanced in this community, Lord, in this city, and also its surrounding cities and throughout the world. Father, I pray that you would give me grace, Lord, to be able to communicate it, Lord, in a way that we can understand and know what you were doing and what you were like. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So some of you may know, um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a hip-hop head. So what that means is I like rap. I like all sorts of rap, mainly late 90s, early 2000s, 101.1 is what I listen to um, after I pray. And, and, and then I listen to that. Uh, but one of my favorite hip-hop artists is a guy by the name of Lecrae. Now, if you don't like hip-hop, but you like Jesus, you can like Lecrae because he loves Jesus too, right? And so when I was a young Christian, he had a song called Sin Me. And it was a really, really good song. And it's always left an imprint on my head when I think about mission or how we as a people are sent. And, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap it for you guys for a little bit, then I'm going to exegete it for about 16 seconds. All right, you ready? Here we go. Start the beat. No, I'm just, just talking. So, so here's how it is. He says, after 1,000 years in the West End of churches, talking about churches in North America, um, he says, we're getting bigger daily, but without understanding worship, meaning people are showing up in these buildings, but are we really worshiping? He goes, here's why. He goes, some are regenerated, which is a very, very biblical word for it. The spirit is in their life. Some are regen- regenerated, but a lot ain't saved because you walk outside and be surprised because the block ain't changed. But the numbers still, we getting them, but something still ain't hitting them. America ain't saved. It's a practice in the ritual. So why we should be missional. So anyways, that's, that's, that's not mine. That's not mine. It's his, you know, it's his to be the glory. <laughs> so, 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 so here's, 
Here's what we have, though. What he says, he goes, you walk outside and you'll be surprised because the block ain't changed. Meaning there's a fundamental understanding that he says when you get the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Those of you in this room who would say you're Christian, that if you have received and you've experienced the outpouring of God's spirit in your life, that we just sang that song, beautiful song, wash all my sins away. That when you encounter that, that Jesus, that resurrected Jesus, for me, I was 22 years old here in an apartment in Tempe, Arizona. I'll never forget it. That when you encounter that Jesus, meaning there is something that it doesn't just personally transform you, but it transforms you in such a way that you just don't have a vertical relationship with Jesus, but you begin to reach out for the people around you. So if there are that many people who are gathering together in churches and particularly here in Redemption, that means that there should be something of the nature of our community beginning to change because of that many people who have been gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he questions, is that really happening? Is that really happening? And we've said we've wanted to be a church that understands that what it means that we've been blessed by God with the gospel of Jesus Christ and many other resources that he's given us that we may actually live our life, not in a stagnant way, but on mission for Jesus. So, so if you're with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unpack a little bit what, what I mean by this. Um, Genesis chapter 12, you, you should be there. It's literally in the beginning of your Bible, right? So people ask me, okay, how would I split up the Bible? I'm going to tell you, there's, you can split up the Bible in two ways. Right? And most of you would say, okay, the Old Testament and New Testament. No, no. If you really want to understand the Bible, you can split it up in two ways. Genesis 1 all the way to chapter 11. And then Genesis chapter 12 all the way to the end of the Bible. And you go, that's not as easy. But that's the way it is. Right? Here's why. Genesis 1 through 11 is God's entering in, speaking to existence, calling things good, calling things good. It's all good. Creating Adam and Eve and said it's all good. And then they sin against God. And sin comes in the world. And Genesis 3.15, God says, listen, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something through this woman one day that I'm going to bring about redemption. And it's very, very small sense. And we don't know how he's going to do that until we get to Genesis 12. And he starts this grand plan of redemption by choosing one man. Meaning God is saying, I'm going to tether myself and my plan of redemption in this world through people. Like I'm going to partner with people in my grace in order to begin to extend salvation to the world. And that, that man's name is we know him as Abraham, but we're going to meet him today as Abram. And by the way, I just love the way God does that. I love the way God gives nicknames to people. Like if you look in the Bible, God's always changing somebody's name. And if you grew up in the neighborhood like I grew up in, we did that a lot to people. It's like, no, 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 his name's not Charles anymore. His name's Scooter. We're going to call him Scooter. Why? I don't know. That's just his name, right? So Abraham gets a nickname. Okay, Abram goes to Abraham. It says this, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's go back to verse two, because that is the launch verse for our series. When I say we are blessed to be a blessing, when we hear that phrase, here's where this comes from. That it starts from the people of God, ultimately Abraham being first and saying this. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. That's God's doing. This is God saying, I'm going to do a work in your life. This is in spite of you. I'm going to move into your life. I'm going to make a, a great name out of you. Ultimately, I'm going to bless the world through you and your descendants. And he says this, I will make your name great. And he says, so that you will be a blessing. Meaning it's not just supposed to fall in on you. That he says, you're blessed in order that you may be a blessing. And that just wasn't for Abraham and his descendants um, biologically, but we see in the New Testament that theme is picked up that Abraham's family are the people of God, anybody who trusts in the one in whom he sent, namely Jesus Christ. 
So no matter where you are, no matter what church you go to, if you're visiting our church, you are blessed to be a blessing if you are in Christ Jesus. Meaning it is not for us just to hear messages and sing songs and then just personally worship God, but our personal and corporate worship God should extend to the people across the seats, also the people across the seas. Meaning this, the way that we love God, it matters that we would be blessed to be a blessing. So, um, stat, on this survey that we took, about 1,000 people took this survey. Uh, 44% of the people said that they've been a part of redemption for one year or less. So I'm not, I'm not like really good at math, but of 1,000 people, 44%, I think it's 444 people, right? I'm just going to, hey, right? That's a lot of people, right? That's a lot of people who say, dude, we just got here. So it's like, hey, welcome. Um, good to know you. Not really. Um, and so you guys kind of like snuck in somehow. We don't know how you guys got here, but hey, this is this. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about our story. And so track with me a little quick. So here's how we got started. 11 years ago, there was a man, man by the name of Justin Anderson who was at, on staff at a church in San Diego, um, a big church called The Rock. And he felt the call and sent the call of God in his life to start a new church. And this new church would get started here in Tempe. And so we started this church 11 years ago, a church called Praxis. And the church in itself began to grow. The spirit poured out upon it. People began to know and trust Jesus. It was a very, 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 very vibrant church. Well, about six or six, six years into their existence, maybe five years, there was this other church that was already going and a more mature church called East Valley Bible Church. And, and the two of these leaders, um, are you tracking with me? So we got, we got new church, dinosaur church, okay? And so these two churches um, begin, begin to talk and the leaders begin to talk and said, hey, what would it look like for churches actually to partner together instead of trying to steal each other's people because that's lame, right? And so let, what if we started a collection of pastors who got together once a month to begin to talk about how we can kind of filter the city with gospel mission and gospel project. In fact, maybe it'd look like if we surge into the city, we'll start something, we'll call it surge, right? And so that started about five years ago. And that's about a bunch of pastors who would get together about seven years, actually, um, once a month to talk about issues, justice issues, how to care about the marginalized in our community and so forth and encourage one another throughout the valley. Now it's extended throughout the whole state of Arizona. But then those guys said, okay, that's not it. What if we begin not just for pastors, but for leaders within our congregation to have sound theological training that can go to some um, form of school that wouldn't cost them a ton, that they can get a certificate and, and maybe we can have top-notch scholars create this curriculum and so forth and come in to speak at it and we'll call it the Surge School. And so now Surge School has been going on for about five or six years and hundreds of people throughout the state and literally probably about a hundred or so throughout our church have been through that. It's a surge network. Okay. Well then those churches said, man, we've been doing a lot of work together. Um, your theology is like my theology and my theology is like your theology. You could tell your friends to be with my friends and we could do this like every weekend. Right? So they, so they, they started doing that deal and, and they said, we used to kiss dating goodbye, but now we should date. And then, and then we should probably, and then, you know, what happened after that, then they got married or they called it a merger. And so the two of them in 2011, that was East Valley Bible church and practice church said, we are going to become one. We're going to get rid of our name and, um, we become one church. So then how do we get the name? Well, we realized something that you can usually tell when a church was started by its name. So East Valley Bible Church, if you were a Bible church, that means you were started in the late 80s or early 90s. Praxis, if you had some sort of Greek or Latin or Hebrew name, you were started in the 2000s. And, and, and we're going, okay, is there a, a name that we can get that kind of captures the gospel that no one can say, oh, you were planted during this era. So we thought redemption was good because redemption is like what God's doing. And so we weren't cool. It was like, we just didn't want to get labeled like, oh, you guys started in this year. So we started Redemption Church in 2011. And Redemption Church started with four, three congregations, Redemption Gilbert, Redemption Tempe, and Redemption Arcadia. 
And then from then, the last five years, we started seven other churches. So we have 10 churches now. And it was quick. It's like we got married, and then we just started having babies. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and if you come to our morning service, it's very much like our church here, right? Like people just bam, bam, bam. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying, right? Uh, so so that, that's, that's, that's our story, right? And, and that's not our story. There's been guiding principles. There's been guiding scriptures that have absolutely shaped us and will always shape us. And God willing, whoever it is that comes after me and the leadership team after me will continue that. And that is we don't only exist for the people who come through those doors, but we exist for people who may never come to those doors. But as a church that we truly want to say, how do we look to care for our city in the name of Jesus, completely teaching the gospel, orthodox teaching, but allows us to be freed enough to propel, be compelled by love to be with the people around us. And so here, here's some scripture that, that has been like launching verses for us. It's Jeremiah chapter 29 here. I'm going to read it to you. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters and take your wi- take wives for sons and give your daughters in the marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Leave that up there. there there's this picture. Let me give you the context. When God first talks, um, speaks this to the people of God, they had been ripped out of their town. They'd been ripped out of Jerusalem. And they find themselves in a foreign land where people didn't believe in their God. People didn't have the same worldview as them. People didn't think like them. And, and normally what Christians would do in this situation is let's remove ourselves out of the culture. And there were many false prophets who were saying, remove yourself out of the culture. And so God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, no, 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 no. Stay there. Um, build a house, meaning be there for a while. Plant gardens, meaning um, join the economic system here. Care about it. Get jobs. Provide for your family and provide for others. And he said, you know what? With your families, why don't you go ahead and let them get married and let them have kids, meaning establish a place here. Then he goes and he says this. Here's what I want you to do. Seek the welfare or seek the peace of the city. In fact, you're going to find your peace, like your greatest peace is going to be found in actually serving others. Like, like novel thought. Now, we've said this before. The word peace or welfare is far too weak of a translation for, for, um, from Hebrew to English. Because I mean, because that word is shalom. And shalom is far more than just peace the way that we think of peace. And so Cornelius Plank, again, his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, has a great quote on what shalom is. He says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich, a rich set of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder, wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way that it ought to be. So when people think, okay, redemption, this whole all of life is all for Jesus. Like, what, what are you guys doing? We're trying to seek the peace of the city. We're doing such and such a way that are completely uh, shaped and influenced by the authority of Scripture. That we believe God, as we see from the very beginning of starting this grand plan of redemption through Abraham and all who would believe in God like Abraham, that we've been blessed to be a blessing. Like we exist to care for one another and to care for those who would never come to these doors. And that, that matters. And so that's who we've been. That's who we're going to be. And, and, and we've been able to do that 
primarily because of the generosity and giving from the people of our church from day one, that we've been a generous people that have been able to participate financially to say, we want to be able to see the kingdom of God advance. And we don't over-spiritualize things when it comes to money. We believe God actually uses prayer. We yet believe God uses discipleship, but God uses in discipleship our resources to continue to advance his kingdom in ways that we could never do on our own. But when it comes to giving, um, we don't usually think like that. And, and so let, let, me, let me just do this by, by, by way of transition here. There's kind of two different ways that we give in our culture. And I'm completely robbing this from a guy named Andy Stanley in Atlanta, just in case you ever talk to him. Um, and, and it's really helpful, and it's helped me understand this. And it says there's intervention given versus prevention given. And the first I want to talk about intervention given. This is what we're good at. This is what, as a culture, we're just good at. Intervention giving is this. It is emotional, and the results are measurable. Every Thanksgiving, we're going to do a turkey drive. And we're going to say, we got to bring in 300 turkeys. That's like usually like our standard number, 300 turkeys. And this is turkey is going to feed this many families. And this turkey is going to feed this many families. And, this, and we're going to let you know how many families you fed. And we can be able to say, listen, these, these, many of these families will not have a Thanksgiving meal unless you provide a, a turkey. So it's emotional. And then you provide it. It's easy. And we can measure it and so forth. And that's really, really good. Or usually our Advent offerings, we'll say there is something that's happening that's been tragic. We want to take the money that we're going to get and we're going to start something and it's going to be immediate and you can measure it. And we can say, you fed this many people, you helped this many people, and it's phenomenal. And most people give that way. But there's another type of giving that the church gives. And we're giving the local church that's and it's preventative giving. And here's what prevent, prevention giving is. It is neither emotional nor measurable, but it's far more superior. Meaning this is the steady plotting giving of faithful people in the local context begin to do things that we cannot say is extremely emotional, nor is it always measurable. Let me give you an example. So let's just say there, there is kids in an abusive home. And, and, and we said, hey, X amount of dollars will actually remove them out of this home. How many of you guys would immediately want to give to that today? Right? Nine of you guys actually. <laughs> wow. <sighs> Okay, we see where we are. All right, and let, let's just let, let let let's just say that that uh, all of you said that because I actually thought you would, but whatever. Um, and so, or let's just say that there's something we can do that will prevent these kids from ever even getting in this situation. Which one would you want to give to? Now that's a trick question, because of course you want to give to both. But preventative giving is saying um, before things can get downstream, which we know inevitably they will, and so we're going to always enter in there, how do we begin to get things taken care of upstream? Meaning when people are giving faithfully to a good church that is preaching and teaching and discipling people through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no way to measure what it's like to have a father that's going to be present in the home because he's understood and been discipled in a way of what it means to love his wife and never leave her. Uh, there, there's no way to measure what it means to have a, a, a listen, you know, I mean, let's, let's go there real quick. Um, my mom was discipled in Jesus Christ and my dad wasn't. And so, you know what? I was this kid down here who had a mom who would have rather had something up here done, but instead people got in later down here. And I look at my kids by God's grace and my kids are right here, right? I look at my, my sons and I tell my sons every single day, daddy loves mommy. Daddy loves mommy before you guys were even here. He's going to love mommy before you, when you guys are gone. And it was daddy's love that even made y'all. <laughs> so so, so I, I, just, I just let him know, right? And, and part of that is like 
something happened in my life. Know what that was? That I became a part of a local church, and I'm going to talk about this guy later, but a guy came into my life, and he discipled me, and he had me here in intervention. So now um, I find myself in a relationship with someone who equally loves Jesus as much as I do, and then we have children that we're able to protect, and our kids are in a home where they're not abused because somebody and a group of people decided to steady plotting, giving to a local congregation where people were discipled through the gospel. We cannot measure that. We cannot measure that, but yet it's the long term. It's the long term, and it's not just children. That's just an example in which we give when we begin to participate in a local church. And so part of that is us even using the resources to start churches. So two of the churches that we've planted out of Tempe that maybe some of you don't know is we planted Redemption Flagstaff. And so Vince Garvey and a team of people left Tempe to go plant in Flagstaff. And you're going to hear from Vince later this year, um, who's a phenomenal leader. And they moved up and they started Redemption Flagstaff. And we were able to and still uh, financially support them during their church planting phase. And then God brought a guy who we knew was a godly guy. And the reason why we knew he was a godly guy is because he said he wanted to plant a church in Tucson. And we thought... The spirit is upon that man, right? Because he was like, I want to plant. We're like, we're sure? We're sure? Because we don't. And, and, and so, but, but he's like, Tucson is where I want to go. In all honesty, we wanted to plant a church in Tucson. We wanted to be the congregation that planted it because all these other pastors are always like ripping on Tucson, not usually me. And, and, and we wanted to be able to see the gospel that worked there. Well, that happens because faithful, prodding, giving, right? And so what, what, what does that look like, right? Let's get a little bit more practical here. So we, we understand that we're trying to seek the peace of the city. We've been blessed to be a blessing, but what does that look like practically? Let, let me just teach you the two ways that I was taught how to give. The first way came from my mother, and I love my mother. I do. And you guys hear me tell, me, tell stories about my mom, and, and you can get sick of it, but oh well, because I'm going to keep telling them, right? And so she taught me how to give, and she taught me how to give in a way that may have not been the best way, but here's how it went. Um, we didn't have a whole lot, but my mom was always faithful giving. It had nothing to do with how much money we had, right? We grew up in a two-bedroom apartment. Me, my brother, and my sister, we shared a room together, and we loved it, right? So early, early in the early morning service, someone was like, oh. I'm like, oh. Listen, I didn't know I didn't have it made until somebody told me. They ruined it for me. I thought I was rich, right? And it's like, oh, you don't have this? Oh, man, you guys don't have a lot. We don't? We're the least of these? Oh, no, right? Like, we will ruin it for people, man. Kids are loving life, and we're like, this is horrible. It is? Oh, no, right? So don't ruin someone's life. So we, we, had, we, we, had, it, we had it made. But, but my mom would always give and always give, and she worked tons of jobs and so forth. And then every once in a while when she would give us a dollar, she'd give us a dollar and she'd say this, boy, which boy meant look my eyes, <laughs> right? And don't jack around. I'm going to give you this dollar. A dime had better end up in that offering plate on Sunday. All right, know what that means? That means put the dime in the plate or get your butt whooped, right? And then if you don't know what that means, I don't know what to tell you. And so there, there's, there's, there, there was like, okay, so we get that dollar, which was good because this is like early, early 90s. So a Whopper was only 99 cents. I just had to find 10 more cents, put my dime in. I get myself a Whopper. I was good. A Whopper is a burger at Burger King, by the way, guys. And so, so man, I, this, man, I forget. I've got to connect with you guys. I'm, I'm getting older, right? Um, yeah, I don't know you guys don't eat fast food. So think of it, like think about hummus being like 99 cents back then, okay? And so <laughs> there we go, all right? You got a shawarma for 99 cents. You were like, oh, right? So, so that's, what, that's what we would have. So on a Sunday at my church that I grew up in, they'd pass the plate. Now, my mom didn't sit with us because she was in the choir, and she was, like, sitting in the choir, but she always had that look. Like, the plate would go by, and they'd be singing, and she'd be like, like, you know when your parents talk and they don't move the lips, but they're like, 
right? And so, so we knew to put the plate in it. If I didn't put that money in the plate, I guarantee you the type of community I grew up in, my mom would have walked down that stage and she'd have walked up there and she would have dealt with me, right? And everybody else in the congregation would be like, yep, good job, right? They would have been totally fine with it, right? That's a different day, different day, right? So that's how I learned, 10% right away, right away, right? Because people ask the question, do you tithe? Like, are we supposed to tithe? That's the question, do we tithe? Well, um, tithe is in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, excuse me, and it means a tenth. And God's people would give a tenth of their first fruit, meaning what they first got, they would say from the immediate tenth goes to the Lord. These things would take care of the temple and religious things, political things, and so forth. In fact, the average Israelite would give upwards to 23% of their income. But the question in the New Testament that people ask is, does the New Testament under grace post-resurrection, does it ever teach that we should explicitly tithe? And listen, it does not. And so the question is, um, tithing was the law. However, you do have Abraham, who we just talked about here earlier, who tithes even before the law came into existence. I just want to point that out. Um, In fact, when Jesus begins to talk about the law, he always ups the ante because of grace. In fact, in Matthew, you have these words from Jesus. He goes, you, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit murder. I tell you this, if you have hate, hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. And he goes, no, 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 you, you've heard it said that thou shall not commit adultery. Okay, you might have not have been with somebody sexually, but I tell you, if you look at another woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery. So he raises the ante. And so something about grace is supposed to do something in our life that we should not look at the tithe as some sort of ceiling like we reached it. It's to be a principle that we think about of saying it might be a floor, but not a ceiling. That leads me to the second way that I learned how to give. So I prayed. I prayed to the Lord. I was about most of you guys' age. I was about 22 years old. I became a Christian here. I was living in Tempe. I could not live in Tempe and be a Christian. I had set up a certain patterns and friendships in my life that I can only live a certain way. And I would be like, no, like, I mean, literally, I could have to stay in my house because I'm like, I had FOMO before, like, they even made that up, right? And if I left my apartment, I was going to do something bad. And so I prayed that God would take me away from here. And I had a little purgatory season in the West Valley. And so I moved, I moved out to Peoria for a while and was teaching there. And I prayed for someone to disciple me. And then God, in his humorous grace, um, brought this guy in my life named Eli. And the reason why I say it's humorous grace is because he was a football player at the University of Arizona. And I thought, I didn't even know people were Christian at the University of Arizona. So, so there, there was, <laughs> dang it. Um, there are. So, so, so Eli who my youngest son is named after, begin to disciple me. He says, hey, I can tell when you're in. I'm gonna, two areas I'm going to challenge you, challenge you, and I can tell you're in. I said, in what? He goes, that you're re- really ready to follow Jesus. And I needed. He'd get up in my grill every morning before school would start because we taught at the same school. And I said, what two areas? He goes, um, if you're able to give your money and ultimately your sexual life to the Lord. And I remember going, uh, can I pick one? Uh, <laughs> Take the money, <laughs> right? And so there, 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 there was just like, what do you mean? But he knew, he knew me enough to go, that's where my heart is. That's exactly where my heart was. And he goes, man, you, you have to start somewhere and grow. And I mean, I was a substitute teacher. I wasn't making a ton of money by any means. But it was the most freeing thing in the world. The most freeing thing in the world was to say, I'm a part of this church. Clearly, that doesn't need my money. I had nothing to do with that. I was a part of a large, large, large church. And, and, and just acting in faith and trusting that God would bless me. And I didn't do it because I had to tithe or my mom was going to look at me or the plate had to be passed. No, I did it because I trust ultimately in what God was doing through that particular church. But even more so, I trusted in God. Like he had brought me this far. 
Like this was the same God who we sing about that washed all our sins away. I wanted more people to experience what I experienced because I experienced something that was radical, right? There's no other way to describe what God did in my life because he hijacked my passions and my affections for the things of this world. And he began to replace them with his. And that was to me a miracle. It was a miracle. And so it was easier for me to go looking at God's grace. Okay, here's what I can do. And I begin to step in faith in that. That was super, super, super helpful for me as a young man. And that carried on. Now, um, from there, it got a little difficult. And here's why it got a little difficult. It got a little difficult because I got married. Um, it's a lot easier to make decisions when you're by yourself. And I know some of you guys are going, I want to get married, I want to get married. You should get married. I'm just saying, it's not as easy as you think it is. Um, there's some things in marriage that are just instinct. And you can guess what that one thing is. Um, but everything else, you, you, you really have to work at. And so what we have in scriptures is what individuals and married couples are called to do in giving. And I'm going to come back to that story about why I got difficult with giving. But I want to give you these three postures, okay, that, 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 are, that someone talked to me and I'm going to talk to you. So imagine it's just me and you one-on-one and we're talking about giving. We're sitting at a place having a, a nice drink, like whatever drink of your choice. So it's water, um, it's tea, it's coffee, it's... Um, or chata, I have no idea, right? And so we're, we're sitting over it. And I'm just, I'm just, here's what I would tell you. All right, when it comes to giving, here's how you, you, you'd want to give. You want to give understanding the vision of whatever your local church is, what they're trying to do. And you want to do ultimately in response to who God is. But here is the postures. Um, first, let me read to you from, from Corinthians here that Paul talks to a young church much like ours. And he says this in 2 Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart. You hear that? Each one must give as he or she has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a true forgiver. And God is able to make all grace abound for you so that all, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I Meaning, What he's saying here is uh, each person um, is not sowing sparingly, that there's something about the way we sow that God actually brings something back to us. And that doesn't mean, oh, we all get monetary gain. It's not like, oh, you give money and God's going to bless you with some new Jordans or something like that, right? It's just saying that something about when God gives, he's going to bless you with the sufficiency of all things. A lot of times that blessing is his presence, the trust in him. That we take one faith in the Lord and trust in him to be able to give. Some of you, you can't start at 10%. And I know some pastors will say, you got to start at 10%. Listen, I think you should start somewhere and grow, right? Wherever you are, start somewhere and grow. So the first posture that I would tell you is um, be a cheerful giver. Why? Because God loves it. Like when somebody does something for you that you love and they say, hey, there's something I love, you want to go find what they love as fast as you can. As fast as you can. He said, I, God loves a cheerful giver. What that means is that you say, Lord, I want to delight in what you delight in. I want to delight in your mission. I want to delight in your work. And I want to participate in it. P- posture number two is give sacrificially. Now, when it says give sacrificially, give to it hurts. And hurting for you may be different for me or different for the person next to you. It says each person in their own heart. That means decidedly before the Lord that you're deciding what it is to give, but it's sacrificially. And it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. In fact, one of, one of my favorite scenes in the Gospels is Jesus when he's watching people give their offering. Now, Jesus, by the way, is the only person in the world who can watch people give and then cast judgment upon them and then totally be okay, right? Like we could never get it. Oh, that would, can you imagine me sitting by the boxes? Oh, 
right? It's like, right? Like that doesn't work. But Jesus somehow can get away with that. And so Jesus is sitting there and he's watching everybody give. And he's like, you can, you can imagine his posse's around him and everything and our disciples and, and they're around him and, and, um, and everybody's giving. It's, it's money, it's money, it's money. But they're giving out of their riches, he says. And then there's this little lady who comes and you can just picture her with a little grandma purse, a little thing that goes, right? And her, she opens it up and then drops two pennies in it. And then Jesus goes nuts. He goes, finally, that one. It was like he was watching Steph Curry or something like that, right? He gets up and he goes, that's, that's, the, that's it. Like, that's, that's how I want you to give. And you know, the little lady was like, Jesus, why are you always embarrassing me, right? And so there's, 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 there's this picture of Jesus saying, that's it. That's it, right? Like, that's it. <laughs> and I think that's just the picture that God gives us is going, yeah. You know, he said, everybody else gave out of their riches. And so it's equal sacrifice. Some of us, um, we think we may be sacrificing, but it's, are you? And that's between you and the Lord. Stretch yourself. Stretch yourself in that. Jesus says this, <laughs> where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Do me a favor. At some point, go look at your bank and account statement and let me know where your heart's at, <laughs> right? If your treasure's where your heart is, go look at what you've been spending your money on. And you're like, damn, my heart's at cartel, right? <laughs> my heart's caffeinated, <laughs> right? And so uh, where, 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 where are those things? Cheerfully, sacrificially, and lastly, regularly. Giving is like a muscle. Like anything else that's good, you have to make it a habit. You're not going to always feel like giving. That's not an emotional deal. Just like you don't feel like waking up and praying. You don't feel like waking up and re- reading your Bible. You have to make a habit out of it. Um, what we saw is that more, most of you guys will not give in those boxes. In the survey, you said most of you will actually give online. And so um, set it up regularly. If it's you by yourself, decide what you're going to give and give. If it's you with your spouse, going back to my story, you guys collectively decide. Let me just tell you by one man's opinion and experience, don't just start giving um, uh, percentages away without talking to your spouse. I've heard it's not a good idea. Uh, and, and so, 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 so part of it is me and Holly, we, we, the Lord made us differently, right? And, and we, we enter into things, same goal, but just completely different doors we enter into, right? So when it comes to the giving of money, we've both said in our household, we want to uh, start at a tithe and we want to be able to, by God's grace, to be able to continue to increase in our local church and ministries around us. Like we've been blessed by the local church and other ministries that we want to be able to be a blessing. Um, but how we get there is she gets there, if I use the biblical word, she gets there through stewardship, right? She's the logical one in our family. All the whole like guys are like this, girls are like that. Our, I'm the woman, all right. And so, 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 so she, she starts logically and she goes, okay, let's start with stewardship. And I go, let's start with faith. Now, both of those are good ways. However, when we're not walking in step with the gospel, what I hear her say is, um, cause I'm like, let's just throw a percentage. Don't, don't even look at it. Let's just throw a percentage up there. You write your percent down. I'm going to write my percent down. Let's see who has the most and whoever has the most. That's what we're going with. Cause we're going to believe God is going, we're going to get God's about to go crazy up in this house. Right. And so, like, I, you know, the boys are cheering me on. Yeah, Dad, go, Dad. Right? And so, so, and then Holly's like, okay, Ricardo, just, let's just, just um, okay, if you gave that percentage away, did you realize we'd have to actually be asking people for, our, for, for money now? And I said, you don't believe God's going to provide that money? Right? And so, so there's, there's this sense where I can almost communicate to her that she has no faith. And then if I'm not, and then she's not walking in step in the gospel, what she can communicate is you're an idiot. Right? Um, and, and so it is difficult, but it's something that the, the two of you, those of you guys who are married, those of you guys who are thinking about getting married, that, that those decisions need to be made collectively. But when you're single, just make it. <laughs> Throw that percentage out there, right? And so, and, 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 and watch what God would do. Okay, so cheerfully, sacrificially, and then as well as regularly, okay? 
And so the, this, this, this last particular point is how. Now, here's where we get, like, extremely practical. Since most of you give online, we've asked the guys to put together something here. So, so we're going to do this now. And when I say do this now, you don't give online now. We're going <laughs> to show this. All you need to do is send a text message with Redemption Tempe, no spaces. Now, the reason why we say no spaces is if you put a space in there, it's going to go to some church in South Carolina. Now, God bless them, but we don't know who they are. Um, <laughs> to 7797. You will receive a text reply with the link to set up your giving option, all right? And you can put your information there. Um, it's a legitimate deal. It's not a PayPal, but it is a push pay, and it's, you're not going to get your, your, your identity stolen and so forth. Um, and, and, then, and then that will go to a, a general fund. Now, here, here's the deal. There is what is called a general fund. That means everything else that I've been talking about. That's the steadying, plotting, prevention given to say, Lord, we believe ultimately in the vision, in the mission of this church. We believe in your word. We respond under your son, Jesus. We've been blessed. We want to see more churches planted, more people trusting and seeing Jesus. We want to see more people that understand that their sins have been washed away, et cetera, et cetera. That's the general fund. And then we have oftentimes a special offering. And so here's what I want to do here. Take now that thing that Benjamin pointed out to you guys there, the one with the, with the bars on it. Okay, um, how many of you guys, just show of hands, how many of you guys were here three years ago? All right, so more of you guys than I thought, but still 30. So we started a campaign here uh, called Building a Stronger Church. We were purchasing this building. Now, we wanted to have a building that we can call home. Believe it or not, at that time, most of the people uh, for our church and the history of our church usually came to church at night. Now everybody comes in the morning. Uh, we wanted a, a space that we can call home, um, that we wouldn't have to pay money to somebody else anymore, and also that we can use the campus facilities for other things. Now there's upwards of 15 organizations and or schools at any given moment that are using our facility that are not a part of Redemption Church and no affiliation. Uh, some of them are Christian, some of them are non-Christian. We can we're able to use this ultimately to bless the city, and we will continue to do such for our existence because we, again, believe that we're blessed to be a blessing. But part of that is that we had to raise a million dollars over the course of three years. Now, we start off with a one-time giving of $100,000, which was absolutely amazing, and we had commitments that were ultimately get us to the point where we would have $3 million. Now, if you look here on this side, we have $124,000 to go by the end of May. Here's how we were able to do that. If you turn it back around, here's what we're asking you to do, above and beyond. Now, look at me real quick. If you're not even participating, you're going, I'm a part of the 40% and I need to start giving, start with the giving fund. Start with the general fund. When you go there, just go ahead and start there and start somewhere and grow in the Lord. If you're saying, I'm here but I want, and, and I want to participate, like we, we, need, we need all of our people to participate in this for us to be able to finish it, right? We're not a super rich congregation. And so if everybody participates at one of these levels, either $10 a month, excuse me, $10 a week, $100 a month, or a one-time gift of $500, we, we will be able to finish this by the end of May, and we will have that burden lifted up off of us, which would be amazing. And we will celebrate. Um, we will have a party. No resources for the party, but we will somehow have a party. In fact, I promise this all day. It's a big, it's a, it's a big promise. That day that we finish it, there's going to be free crackers and, and box wine and grape juice for every single person who trusts in Jesus. Right after the sermon, you can just come up here, and it's going to be up here for you. And, uh, it's going to be amazing, okay? Promise you. It's a big goal. But what, but, uh, what we need is for some of you to say, I'm going to start participating financially for the first time. I'm going to start somewhere and grow. I'm going to set it up, and I want to be challenged. Um, some of you goes, okay, I can go above and beyond that, and I can, and most of you can say, I'm going to give either $10 a week, $100 a month, or $500 one-time gift, and so we can be able to obliterate that, 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 we, could, that, we, could, that we could finish it as a congregation. Um, so that's, that's how we do it. Here, here, here's why. 
The ultimate motivation for that is not only just to see people know and trust Jesus, not only just because you're a part of this family. It's exactly what Paul says when he's talking to that young church in Corinth, is that he doesn't begin, when he wants them to give, he doesn't apply on the emotion, and he doesn't put pressure on the will. So he doesn't say, hey, you know, and if you guys don't give, that's ridiculous. I can't believe you're a part of this congregation and you're not giving. He doesn't do that. He doesn't apply at the will, but he doesn't, he doesn't, or the will or the emotion. He doesn't say, hey, I'm an apostle. What are, you, are you serious? Like, I talk to God. You better, you better give, right? He doesn't do that. He takes the gospel of Jesus Christ and he applies it right to the heart. And he takes the gospel and he applies it to the economical realms. He says this, don't you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? That though he was rich, he became poor. So that we who were spiritually poor, we were bankrupt. We had nothing to give to this thing called redemption. We had nothing to give to this thing called salvation. We had nothing to, nothing to give. He says, he who was rich became poor in order that we who are poor might become rich. He goes, when you see what God has done in your life, if you, if you, if you could just see the, what, what, what he's continually doing in your life by the Holy Spirit, if you just look to Jesus in this, he goes, now, once you've looked at him and you have a sense of the heart of how he warms you, how he cares for you, how he never leaves you, how he never forsakes you, now in response to that, step in faith and say, Lord, I, I trust you with even my resources. I want my treasure to be in the things of you. I want your kingdom to be advanced. And I want to be a part of any part that I can play that I can pray into it, that I can give into it, that I can participate in, and we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you guys go ahead and close your Bibles. We're going to pray and we're going to respond to Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the great grace that's been extended to us by your son, Jesus Christ. God, um, I, I confess, Lord, that a message like this, oftentimes, Lord, is always either hard to hear or challenging or we don't know where we're stand, standing or... Um, it hits us in different ways, but Lord, I pray that there would be a spirit of conviction and of joy, Lord, to be able to enter into what you were doing. God, help us to not have a dualistic understanding of money as if you don't care about it. If we say that you, uh, Jesus, that all things belong to you and all of life is for you, Lord, we pray that the gospel would affect even our pockets, that, that we would be challenged and stretched as the people, no matter how young or how old, that we would participate, God. I pray that you continue to grow us at the church, Lord, and that this series, Lord, would truly be beneficial, not just financially, Lord, but as we come back next week, we talk about serving. Would you challenge us to pour out our time and our energy and our efforts? And then, Lord, also the last week, that you would challenge us to be in the lives of each other, to ask and to say the hard things, to laugh and to joke, ultimately, Lord, in fellowship. Father, we thank you that we get a chance to have our eyes fixed upon the cross. And Lord, the power that is leaking into our lives of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit by the, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, help us to live into that and to embrace it, to know you and to trust you. In Christ's name, amen.